Hello everyone, welcome once again to A Reason for Hope. We're glad you're joining us, A Reason for Hope, just in case it's your first time with us. Here's an hour-long live broadcast. We're live on multiple online platforms and it's guided by your questions on the Bible. We're here to answer your questions on the Bible. We have some wonderful guests here who love the Lord, they love His Word, and they love to connect you with uh, His truth through his word, the Bible. So if you have any questions, questions on maybe a specific verse that you've read and are confused over what it means, how it applies to your life, maybe even something you're going through in your life, you'd like a biblical perspective, what does God say about different decisions we make or lifestyles, worldviews, maybe even uh, other religions, and as I mentioned, worldviews and how they relate to Christianity and the Bible, anything along those lines, any Bible questions on your heart, as long as it's an honest question, and as long as you know that we are using the Bible to find the answers to those questions, not our opinions um, so much, but what God says about it as accurately, accurately as we can possibly convey that to you from his word. So that's what we're all about here at A Reason for Hope. So we're glad you're joining us. We're very glad for your questions. I'll be going over those platforms in a moment just so you know how to join us and send those questions in in various ways. My name is Dave Robson. I'm your host today. I'll be with you on those platforms as your questions come on in. And it's uh, Tuesday today, so that means we have Pastor Bo Willette over here. Yes. He's the assistant pastor here at Calvary Christian Fellowship. And also... By grace. By, yeah. Oh, oh <laughs> by it's all... grace. It's all a work of Remember grace. Remember that. <laughs> yes, I don't, I don't forget it. All of yes. us are definitely... A work of grace. Um, you're also the chaplain for, uh, was it the Miami Dolphins? I yeah, can't remember. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. No, not the Miami Dolphins. Yep, but <laughs> but I, do some, I do some chapel work for hockey teams out here. Yeah, and you're up in the state. There today. Yep, yep. Yeah. So back, yep. Yeah. But that was great. Good time. And yeah. it's always good to just get with anybody really <laughs> to talk about God. <laughs> Anyone. <laughs> you know? Anyone. Anyone out there. You know, <laughs> yeah. you go into the, uh, what did Jesus say? Hey, invite him in. You know, go out into the, the highways and the hedges and you know right but um yeah it's it's fun um you know that's just a wonderful blessing that i have in my life yeah. to be able to kind of pour into um, a sport that i've loved and i grew yeah. up with and and it is a culture not everybody understands mm. uh that kind of culture but when you're raised into a french canadian family um, hockey is like a part of that. <laughs> it's family. in the blood. Yeah. Yeah. It's like uh, I guess when you say like, oh, I'm I'm a Hebrew or I'm Jewish, you know, it's like <laughs> when you say you're like somehow Canadian in yeah. any capacity, hockey is like attached to that. <laughs> yeah. You can. You don't know what position do you play? The religion yeah. of hockey, I guess you right. could say, right. might be actually a religion up there. Maybe. You know? Kind of like in England with with uh, football so- yeah. or soccer. Yeah. Yeah. Or yeah. actual football in Texas. That's right. Yeah, yes. yeah, exactly. Yeah. That too. Football in Texas, uh, yeah. football, soccer, soccer football in England. Yeah. Yep, in Eng- oh, well, that's like super religious. Oh, yeah. Out there. Yes. I mean, you guys have hooligans and it's like unbelievable. Yeah. I remember when England and Germany played in the World Cup. Oh, my goodness. I mean, was that, it on the history, or what? It was on. I mean, men quit their jobs just so they could be home to watch it. I mean, it was, it was insane. insane. I must say, I, I've been to many hockey games in my life. Um, and I went to see the United States this is soccer mm-hmm. play Mexico in Tempe at the football stadium, yeah. where the American football team plays. Uh-huh. And that place was so packed, and it was like a giant fiesta. Mm-hmm. Bands playing. It was the loudest thing I've ever heard. Wow. It was crazy. Wow. 
It was the show. <laughs> it was kind of Super Bowl level beyond yeah, that. Yeah, just people dressed up. I mean, and this was just a friendly game between the United States and Mexico. And that, yeah. that what, a 100,000-seat stadium sold yeah. out. Wow. Wow. Um, yeah, so people are into soccer. Yeah, yeah, they are. Well, it's, <laughs> it's cool that you get to, like, say, be a chaplain to yeah. the, the hockey team. Um, up there that's a really cool opportunity with us as well pastor sean richards of course how are you doing today i've spoken my piece in terms of sports <laughs> yeah, yeah yes you did <laughs> yeah. me too i'm not really a big sports you guy never played either. sports growing up on huh? like weren't a big sports guy i was on a rugby team through high school and uh, apart from that uh, yeah swimming on the extracurricular stuff but never anything too competitive yeah because yeah. you got the swimmer's body man yeah all mama's jeans yeah yeah you were, well, she was a, a triathlete right yeah, yeah qualified for the olympics yeah wow. man, that's awesome but uh, awesome. you look at Sean, and uh, you, you, I mean, you got the swimmer's reach and yeah, everything, right. just the way your body is, and you just yeah, you need some uh, some gills. <laughs> That's right. I think <laughs> I'm more of a rugby ball than, than <laughs> anything else. But uh, well, anyway, enough of that idle banter. <laughs> what are we here to do? Oh yeah, that's right. Bible questions. Yeah. So as I mentioned, the reason for hope it's a live broadcast. We're with you Monday through Friday, five to six p.m. Here in Tucson, Arizona, Mountain Standard Time. Of course, you can join us all around the world because we're on the, the wonders of the internet now. And we have people join us from around the world. We're very grateful for that. But if you're in the, the Tucson, Arizona area, you're more than welcome to come check out our church here, Calvary Christian Fellowship. A Reason for Hope is an outreach of Calvary Christian Fellowship here in uh, Tucson. You can go to our website, calvarychristianfellowship.com, and, and find out more information about us so have a click around the website we have lots of events we have support groups and bible studies and of course services on sunday and wednesday evening um, we have uh, christmas services coming up and all that good stuff so if you are in the tucson arizona area come check us out we're near prince and i-10 on the west side of the freeway there but uh, for the purposes of tonight that watch live tab that you'll find at calvarychristianfellowship.com. You click on that, we'll take you to our live page, which is ccftucson.online.church. You can type that right into your browser as well, ccftucson.online.church. We'll take you to that directly to that same place. When we're offline, you'll see a countdown to our next event. You'll see a schedule of upcoming events, but we're live right now, so you'll see the video. You can sign in with a username of your choice and send your question in with the chat function that appears. Like I say, I will be right there with you as your questions come on in. Any honest question is fair game. Uh, we're on Facebook as well, live on Facebook, facebook.com slash Tucson, or just search for Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson. And we're live there. You can send your question in through the comments that's attached to the video. Don't forget to like and share. We'd appreciate that. Just share the love as we grow this ministry, continue to reach out with uh, God's truth and his word. We have a app as well for your mobile device, Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson. Once again, in your app store, you'll see that red background with the white Calvary Chapel Dove logo, and you can watch us on your cell phone. On our app, we have archives as well. Pastor Scott Richards, who's the senior pastor here, who you usually see on the program when it's not a Tuesday, um, has been doing a series on Sundays on prophecy, prophecy update, of course, with everything going on in Israel and the Middle East. So you can go to uh, some of the archive messages if you would like to catch up on those or recap. Been very informative and awesome. So uh, all that and more on our app. And we are live on our app as well. We have a channel on Roku and Apple TV as well. So if you'd like to watch us on your big screen and you have those capabilities, 
you can add us as a channel on Roku. Once again, Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson. We're live on YouTube as well. A Reason for Hope is the name of the channel on YouTube, A Reason for Hope. That's a great place for archives as well. Anytime we've been live, it archives for us there on that live tab. So if you missed anything or want to recap, that's a good place to immediately go and catch up on those things. My little notification reminded me to turn the uh, volume down on my laptop. You just saw me do that on the screen. That's pretty cool. Um, and uh, don't forget to like and subscribe and click on the notification bell if you wish. You'll get a little prompt when we are live as well. So a reason for hope on YouTube. We are live there. Um, Scott Richards, as I mentioned, our senior pastor, is on Twitter. Scott Arthur H. That's a great way to get immediate updates daily, multiple times daily, of things going on in the world. Commentary on world events from a biblical perspective and some funnies and all kinds of things. So Scott R4H on Twitter. Scott letter R number four letter H. And then we are on Rumble as well, not live, but we uh, post videos. A reason for hope Bible Q&A on Rumble. If you're on that platform, you're welcome to, of course, add us there. And then our email address, questionsforhope at gmail.com. Questions for hope spelled out at gmail.com is our email address. We receive questions there as well. If you're listening to us on the radio, Reach Radio or another affiliate, we are glad you're joining us. Drive safely out there if you're on your drive time. I've heard it's a little crazy out there today, of course, holiday week. People going shopping and driving around town, so do be careful as you listen, but we're glad you're joining us on the radio. Keep in mind that you're listening to the last show that we did pre-recorded. We're not live on the radio with you per se, but all those other aforementioned uh, platforms we are live as can be and receiving your questions which will guide our show along today so however you're joining us we're glad that you're there send your questions in uh, we appreciate you being part of a reason for hope and we would love to pause to pray and just dedicate this hour to the lord that he would guide us and help us do this well yes <laughs> so but would you like to pray you're not with us all that often so yeah yeah let's do it <laughs> that'd be great Father, we thank you so much for this opportunity. Uh, pray that you guide us, uh, that your Holy Spirit speak through us, that your word would be exalted. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, we can dive into questions unless you have anything else to declare. The two mm, of you. No. <laughs> <Very good. laughs> um, we had a question uh, left over from yesterday that we didn't have time to get to from John. He asks, who is the author of Psalm 90? Um, other than the opening lines, how do we know this? This psalm much be much, must be much older than the rest of the book. So Psalm 90, do we know the author? Any elaboration on that? Yeah, it's given credit to Moses as the author, but obviously when people are objecting to the authenticity of the Bible, they can make the argument, and I think it's fair. Well, it says it, and they wrote it, therefore it must be right. No, do we have actual reason to believe that what they wrote is actually true? And you can generally go at this from two directions. First of all, the book of Psalms is a collection from not just one author. The Psalms were written by many different authors. Uh, I got a list set here. David wrote 75 of them. Yeah. Uh, Asaph, uh, who was the worship leader of uh, King David's era, uh, wrote Psalm 50 and 73 through 83. That would be 12 in total. The sons of Korah, who were 
the cousins of Moses, by the way, uh, wrote 11. Heman wrote one, and this was along with the sons of Korah in Psalm 88. Uh, Solomon wrote two that are noted in the book of Psalms. He wrote many others, but Psalm 72 and 127 came from the Lord. And then Ethan the Ezraite wrote Psalm 89. You can talk about him someday if you want. <laughs> but uh, Moses is credited for Psalm 90. Now, when it comes to who wrote some of these Psalms, they are good about telling us not just where they know something, but also where and when they don't know something. This is what's called the Orphanic Psalms. So the fact that they admit when they don't know something already gives us a reason that they don't just make things up lightly, especially given that they start the psalm with a quotation from Deuteronomy 33, the man of God. So identifying Moses the way his culture understood it and having high regard for that name and the sincerity to admit when you don't know something probably means that they're not making it up. But since we have Psalm 90 and the others in our Bibles, for the most part taken from a collection of Hebrew scriptures that were known as the uh, Masoretic texts, this was the collection of Old Testament books that the Hebrews, not Christians, but Hebrews specifically, had been compiling throughout the ages, and the earliest complete copy that we had was around the 900s A.D. Note that, 900 A.D. So, ironically enough, our earliest copy of the New Testament is older than the Old Testament until the Dead Sea Scrolls. And that's where we got confirmation that this was, in fact, from Moses, because the Masoretic tradition, the people who were copying the Old Testament, gave us our earliest complete copy of the Old Testament, who we were depending on for our Bibles to know what the Old Testament said and didn't. There was still an open question that a lot of people, mostly from Germany, were saying, well, how... <laughs> I'm not kidding. No, I <laughs> the, know. The two I know. begin in Wellhausen schools yep. were both in Germany. Yeah. But uh, the critiques of Christianity were largely centered around that. You're taking these... Jews, word for it. And how do you know that, A, either Christians or they didn't alter the text? You have something before the time of Christ to show before Christian influence had creeped in. Mm -hmm. And in the 20th century, we did find that. The Dead Sea Scrolls contain not only complete copies of the books of Isaiah, but also many of the Psalms. And their copy of Psalm 90 not only categorizes this, separate from the others, but specifically mentions it with the same introduction we see today. It calls it the Psalm of Moses. And if you go 200 years before, 900 years after, there's a pretty consistent pattern here that they didn't just call it Moses to make it more popular. So those would be the reasons why we would believe the opening verses, because of proven sincerity when they don't know something, and the fact that we have a continual tradition that shows that uh, even isolated from modern culture, there was no Christian influence or alterations to make it more popular. It was consistent over a thousand-year period of time. Yeah. And, and what it, does that say about a thousand years before that? Right. And the psalm itself, um, you know, of, of course, lends itself to the credibility of or the, the potential of Moses writing it just by what's in it. Um, you know, who else would know those things better than a guy like Moses, mm. you know, who was there? Um, also, Moses wrote songs. Um, we see two of them in the Torah, mm -hmm. um, Deuteronomy 33, Exodus 15. Uh, so it's not out of the ordinary for Moses to be poetic. 
Um, so I think for that reason, too, that the text itself uh, has to do with the subject that certainly Moses would know something about, mm-hmm. and that uh, when you look at the Torah apart from the Psalms, you see that Moses in the Torah is a poetic guy himself. And so it's, it wouldn't be odd for him to write a psalm, a song, since we have the Song of Moses in the Torah. And there's also uh, traditions from the rabbis that note that Psalm 91 and a couple others were also from Moses, but because we don't know for certain, it doesn't say we that. don't put that out there yet. Right. By the right. way, the Psalm of Heman, I think you pronounce it, Psalm 88, is the most gnarliest psalm you will read. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know any church that would do that song. <laughs> you know, we probably would. Uh, the end the end of the psalm is the darkness is my closest friend. Mm. <laughs> I mean, I've come to talk <laughs> with yeah. you. Have a wonderful again. rest of your Sunday, everybody. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and on that note, amen. Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> Let's close with a song. Yeah, it is a uh it is a cry out uh, for the Lord. Um, this guy is in the deepest, darkest trenches mm. um, of life. Um, and uh, he is very much giving it to the Lord. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of honesty in the yeah. Psalms. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. So Heman, he only wrote one, you said? Yep. Yeah. So, that with yeah. Psalm 88. Yeah. Him. That's, wow, that's a heavy one. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the one he wrote. That was why he only got... <laughs> he only wrote one. Yeah. They're like, enough. He got fired after that. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Great. I would, well, have lo- I would have loved to hear what they said about <laughs> it, though. I mean, because it's, it's, uh, it's intense, man. It's an intense psalm. I love the start, though. Mm-hmm. Oh, Lord, the God who saves me. It's like a cry to Jesus, Yahshua. Mm-hmm. You know, the, uh, Yahshua, of course, God of salvation. And that's how the psalm starts. Mm-hmm. Isn't that great? Yeah. It's like a cry out to Christ. You know, Jesus, I need you. And then it's just, man, it is just dark. Mm. Yeah. It's an Evanescence album before he. Yeah, 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 exactly. Right. Wow. It is definitely heavy. Yes. Well, thank you. That was uh, John for that question about Psalm 90. Appreciate you. I have a question from Yari. What is a poverty mindset and is it biblical? Um, if I don't have enough faith or if I don't tithe, I have a poverty mindset. Thank you. Sounds like a, a prosperity gospel kind of thing. Have you heard of a poverty mindset? I think it's more of a. I think it's just a secular mindset. Mm-hmm. Uh, poverty mindset's just a kind of that. I mean, you can probably look up psychology today, and they have a, a, a poverty mindset. There might be something in the faith movement that ha- uh, certainly that has a, uh, a phrase "poverty mindset" is not being a good thing. Well, there's the idea behind the rich young ruler that sell you have give to the poor you'll have reward in heaven and then come follow me people will take that piecemeal addressing that individual forget the follow-up to the conversation and then say this is the calling for all christians to live a life of poverty to take a vow of poverty Mm. uh Mm. monasteries and uh, the monastic lifestyle kind of borrowed from that interpretation so you could say it's in the biblical, but is it biblical? Well, we see based on, and this is true in interpreting anything ever, not just the Bible, but if your interpretation conflicts not just with the text that you're reading, but other areas of the text that are under the same category, you're the problem. So let's 
test that conclusion. If the rich young rulers put forward as what Jesus expects of every believer to sell everything they have, otherwise he's not worthy of him, then you have to ask yourself, why is it then that God not only pursued, but continued to have a relationship with wealthy people in the Bible. Lydia, for example, in her time in the book of Acts, we can talk about in the Old Testament where Abraham was noted as the friend of God, and yet for some reason he didn't sell all that he had. He brought a lot of it with him, and he wasn't condemned for that. We can talk about the principles that guide proper wealth management, like James and Proverbs. Not many of you become rich because with the riches comes uh, not only increase of temptations, but you're caught up in all sorts of sorrows. The idea of, well, I can't be close to God and have things. Well, again, just like anything else, impoverished people can treat money as more of an idol than wealthy people. It's not necessarily that the filthy luger is the filth, it's the attitude you have towards it. So what's the actual issue here? Is it the riches or is it the individual? <coughs> well, let's just go back to that passage. In the account of the rich young ruler, which we see in multiple gospel accounts, what happened? The man loved his possessions. He had many possessions, and he turned away from Jesus because he didn't want to give them up. What was the problem there? That he had possessions or that they turned him away from Jesus? That, I think, is more consistent with the text, especially since the next sentence goes on for Jesus to say, it is harder for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven than for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. And then there's people who make up a bunch of hue crying uproar about that. None of that is biblical either. The idea was, how did their culture see rich people? They're closer to God. Because, you know, material blessing means spiritual blessing, right? Absolutely. And Jesus that's said, <laughs> well, that's how they thought. But Jesus turned that on its head. He showed them an example of someone who had everything going for him spiritually, quote unquote, and had nothing going for himself spiritually, no quotes. And that's the point. So the poverty mindset examine your own heart. If you can live with less, then I think you're setting yourself up for a simpler lifestyle. But there's nothing more virtuous in that than being faithful with what God's entrusted you with. Make sure that whatever you do in word or deed, do hardly as unto the Lord. Whether it's with your abundance or with your lack, I think you're fine. Uh, that side note about the tithe doesn't really have much to do with anything, but I guess we can mention it briefly. Second Corinthians says, God loves a cheerful giver. Let each man give as he purposes in his own heart. Mm. Yeah, as you mentioned about not having enough faith, as far as thinking like the prosperity gospel, if I don't have enough faith or if I, or if I don't tithe, then I have a poverty mindset. Like I have to do something to, for God to bless me financially. Again, that's why I put this guy hanging out with every time he asks us something, it's always with all these heretical backgrounds. <laughs> yeah. I, again, it sounds like sort of a, a, a prosperity gospel ish, but, um, but yeah. Yari, thank Yeah. Thanks for the question. Yeah. And, um, you know, and, it, many people go to different, many different churches. I mean, there's a lot of churches all over the place, and there's different teachings. So we really appreciate you listening in and, and asking the questions. Absolutely. Um, now, First Timothy chapter 6 is a good one um, to go to, Yari, just for that idea of um, Paul's admonishment um, about riches and for those who are rich. So if you want to hear uh, from the Apostle Paul, uh, about this subject uh, that Sean's talking about, you might want to check out First Timothy chapter six and read some of that. 
You know, uh, you've heard uh, verse 10, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Uh, but then in verse 17, it says, command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, right? Um, but uh, um, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives richly all things to enjoy and let them do good that they may be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves riches. So you could see that within the church, it's not like everybody had the same amount of money yeah. all, all straight over the board, right. you know, across the board. Um, you know, I think I know what you're talking about, though, with the negative mindset, and and I think there's a general idea that I, I kind of uh, can come to like some kind of agreement with with you, Yari, and that is having a negative uh, kind of continual mindset, um, and, and is never good mm. in anybody's life. Like to constantly just beat yourself up. Yeah. Um, you know, I'll never get money. I'll never have a house. I'll never. Some people do that, and it's like a. It looks like humility, but it really is a false humility. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of like too much thinking about yourself. Still. Yeah. You know. Right. So you're not look. You're not looking at your stuff and being like, "Oh, I'm so great. Look how awesome I am." Instead, you're looking at your lack, yeah. and you're just beating yourself up. Right. And so. Yeah. You, However, in the, in the world these days there's this whole thing of manifesting you know you put something yeah. out there to the universe and you manifest it right and that's not true if you either can conceive it you yeah. can achieve it right that's the that's the big thing yeah you know? and that's what i mean that's that's what i was thinking with it the poverty like if you have a poverty mindset then you're going to be poor you need to have a prosperity mindset and then you'll be blessed but, yeah and yeah. long as you interpret the prosperity to be jesus Right, you know, not the, <laughs> yeah, not just not money. The cash, yeah, yeah. Then you're good to go. Right, you know. <laughs> so if you can just, uh, you know, wherever you're listening to, if they're talking about Jesus as being the prosperous right. one, you know, that uh, we get to inherit eternal life, yep. and uh, and that that's what we're talking about. Then right. great, focus on that, Yari. Yep. Um, but if you are finding yourself beating yourself up. Um, and just having a real negative vibe, then um, that's not good. And that's something to come before the Lord. And I think you do need to, we all need to repent of that kind of attitude. Right. Um, and to say, hey, God, help me not to think of myself like this. Yeah. You know, you've made me into a new creation. You love yeah. me. Your grace abounds in my life. Yeah. Um, you can restore the years the locusts have eaten. Jeremiah 33, 3, you have new things, you know, things you don't right. even know of. You know, you got, God does amazing things. He said he was going to heal Israel, heal, Ju heal Judah when Judah went totally astray. Yeah. And, and, you know, God does that kind of stuff in our life. Mm. Um, and so, um, you know, there might be some things you just need to have kind of a repented heart before the Lord right. with that with that negative vibe yeah you know absolutely that's yeah. good makes sense well thanks again Yari. yeah that thanks, helps Yari. you out thanks for being a regular on the show um question from holly uh we've been talking a lot about israel obviously with with what's going on over there but also just because of how significant israel is in the bible god's chosen people um that's why we've you know, we find it so important to dedicate so much time to talking about it. But Holly asks, why did God choose Israel as his chosen people? 
Deuteronomy 7 and verse 6, For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself, to be a people, uh, a special treasure above the peoples on all the face of the earth. Verse 7, The Lord did not set his love on you, nor choose you, because you were more in number than any other people, for you were the least of all peoples. Verse 8, But because the Lord loves you, and because he would keep the oath which he swore to your fathers, and goes on to mention the Exodus. So, what's the reason? Well, God loves them. It's true for all of us. What set them apart, though, ethnically? Why them apart from any other? Because he made a promise to their ancestors. That's a reference to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. I will multiply your descendants through all the tribes of the world you will be a blessing. So they were specified for a purpose by God that was unique to them, just like for all of us individually. We have been given an opportunity and calling to minister and model and share and show the heart of God in our own ways as the Spirit equips us. But Israel is given a unique and singular calling, and that was what? To be the biological ethnicity that God would enter this world through. And due to the constraints of time and space, that would only apply to one ethnicity. So when you see, you know, the, the Chinese Jesus, the African Jesus, the, uh, the Greek Jesus or whatever, they're all falling short of the ongoing reality that God singled out the Hebrew people, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the line of Judah, the son of David, all of these people specifically because he made a promise and he's going to keep it. And so on that basis and from that model, we see God's proven character. If he kept his promise to the Jews, the book of Jeremiah notes, if I fail to keep my promises to you, O Israel, I'll also fail to keep my covenant with the dawn. <laughs> the sun's not going to rise tomorrow. And if uh, was it uh, Shirley Temple? Bet your bottom mm. dollar tomorrow yeah. the sun will come up. So that's the same <laughs> that's mindset. That's a great reference. <laughs> so that's why he chose them. Uh, it was for a singular purpose, the one through whom the promise given to Eve in Genesis chapter 3, actually it was to the serpent, but it would involve Eve, uh, would, of course, be fulfilled. And that was continued through Abraham, continued to the descendants who inherited spiritual line, that, of course, being Isaac, Jacob, who was later renamed Israel, his sons, and then, of course, what set them apart. Now, people will oftentimes jump the gun at this point and say, well, Jesus has come then, so now everyone's special and nobody. Everyone's God's chosen people and nobody. The fact of the matter is God still has a purpose for the Jewish people because there are hundreds of promises in the Old Testament left unfulfilled, not failed, unfulfilled. So if the purposes that he has for Israel proper, not just spiritually but ethnically, aren't fulfilled, then the character of God that our salvation is based on is based on that of a, and I'm quoting our tour guide, Steve Joss, on this, a huckster, a fraud. Hmm. So make sure that when we understand terms like God's chosen people, that it's literally biblical, but also understanding the implications of that, he's chosen them for a special purpose, to be the model of God's faithfulness. He can do that individually through our lives as well, but the reason why they're singled out biologically isn't because they're the superior race, but that God had to choose one, and it was yeah. them. Yeah. Not because they were greater, but because he loves them. Yeah, yeah. Amen. Anything yeah, to? and it says they were nothing. And uh, so uh, it's interesting, God's election was uh, in uh, humility. It was in a humble way. Right. So in Deuteronomy, when you read these chapters, 
Um, it talks about them being nothing. They weren't the greatest. They weren't yeah. the strongest. They weren't the mightiest, that kind of idea. Right. And so you see in the New Testament the same kind of reiteration. You know, not many of you wise, not many of yep. you noble, not many of you this, right? Yeah. Yeah, like our election is won by grace as well. Right. And so, you know, the Old Testament election is won by grace too. Yeah. You know, it says Noah found favor, grace in the eyes of the Lord. Yeah. You know, and so New and Old Testament, it's by grace. Right. And so, you know, you are elect. Um, and it's by grace, yep. but it is according to the promises. And when you read the Old Testament, um, yeah, God had to come in at some point into, you know, the first, uh, again, on the second page of the Bible is the promise, or maybe the third page of the Bible is a promise that a, a son would be born that's going to defeat Satan. Yep. And so we've been waiting for this son. Mm -hmm. And so the Bible is just a narrative. The Old Testament is a narrative of the lineage of the son. Right. So that's really what it nubs down to, right. is it's uh, after that promise to uh, Eve is given that through her seed, um, Satan would be defeated, mm -hmm. then, then here we go. Uh, right. Who is the son? Where is the son going to come from? Right. This kind of thing is all, we're all awaiting it. That's right. Um, and so who is God going, when is this going to happen? Yep. It's kind of exciting. Yeah, <laughs> you know? and we'll get to celebrate that next month. Yeah, that's right. Christmas, yeah. yeah. Yep. <laughs> In case yeah. you wonder who that son was, we will celebrate it for, uh, Christmas. Yeah, um, and you might want to read, uh, you could read Romans 9 through 11, um, read the book of Galatians um, mm -hmm. to you know, talk about election, those kind of ideas. Um, and uh, hopefully that helps you out a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, Holly, for that question. hope that does help you thanks for the question once again send your questions in whatever platform you're on um we had comment from casey that yari's question really spoke to her it was a question that she had and that ha happens a lot yes um, you may ask a question that other people are curious about so you can be that brave person to step out with your question so yeah and it's so you know it, and it's funny but um you know we tend to be in a culture where um you know you, when you're in a church you tend to think that every church is like your church Yep. <laughs> you know, you tend to kind of think that, um, but that's just not the case. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a lot of different churches and a lot of different ideas and right. thoughts. And, and so, um, you know, I think in today's age too, a lot of people go from church to church quite mm -hmm. a bit. They kind of, uh, just kind of go around and listen to different people. So, um, um, I think, you know, certainly, uh, you know, you know, people probably hear things wherever they're at on Sunday mm -hmm. or on Wednesdays or Saturday, and they're kind of curious about that. Huh, that right. sounds interesting. That's you right. Know? Yeah. That's right. Yeah, there are definitely different views. I was just, was it with you or Scott? I was talking about that when I came on staff here, you know, 15 years ago. Mm -hmm. I remember we sat down because Scott said, you know, just make sure Dave's doctrine is you know, right? Yeah. <laughs> and I remember like, I barely knew what the word doctrine even was, you know, because it was that kind of thing. I was still learning that yeah. there's different views on these things. You know, we just talked yesterday with, with Scott was here about the Holy Spirit and our relationship with the Holy Spirit and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Right. And we mentioned, this is something different. You'll go different places and there's a different idea of, of that, you know, the Holy yeah. Spirit, our relationship with the Holy Spirit. You the know, second work give. of the Holy Spirit, second exactly. giving of the all Holy all that Spirit. kind of yeah. thing. So yeah, as you go along, like you say, we, I'm sure we have people listening who are, re, you know, really into all the doctrine, and some people that don't realize there are different 
views on things. Right. Um, so, yeah. So, yeah, definitely good to, to note that. Hey, when I was in high school listening to Hank Hanegraaff <coughs> in the Bible Answer Man, or even before that, Walter Martin, um, on a sh- show like this, I mean, man, I didn't know anything. I was right. so curious. <laughs> you know, I was asking, my questions were super all over the place. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure. It's good. It's good to ask those. Good to ask those questions. I cuss a lot. Am I going to hell? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's a big question to ask. Yeah, that's a good one to ask. For sure. Um, question from Aaron. We have a, a, two questions from him along the same line. But his first question: Why does Satan fight against God if he knows he can't win? Why is Satan fighting a losing battle? It's a good question. Well, I guess the assumption is that you're assuming rationality in a being that has rejected the source of that. Uh, And this is what I mean. When we're talking about Satan, the characteristic sin that made him the devil was pride. And pride, in a nutshell, is a self-deception. It's a false view of yourself and others. We read in Ezekiel 14 and Isaiah 28, or maybe the other way around, uh, the, uh, yeah. Uh, Reverse that. Yeah, Ezekiel uh, 14, <laughs> 28. 28. Yep. Uh, but this gr- basically uh, self-gaslighting, if you will, this idea of I'll be greater than I am. And it wasn't to say that there wasn't anything good about the son of the morning, Lucifer, this anointed angel cherub, literally blessing is what that means, an exalted one. But he considered himself like the Most High. And in order to, I guess in a sense, live up to his own hype, he tried to make himself out to be more than what he was, and it backfired. It made him lower than the kingdoms of the earth. And both Isaiah and Ezekiel were paralleling his fall with that of the kingdom of Tyre, that they built themselves up to be this unassailable fortress, and God's telling them, not once but twice, you're going to have your kingdom scraped off the islands you built them on. Mm. So the idea is uh, pride and humility, this is quoting Levi Lusco, both backfire. If you have an honest perspective of yourself and others, you see how low you are. It tends to put you in a position worthy of more exaltation. And notice the slingshot effect, if you will. When Jesus lowered himself to that of a servant in order to show the perfect nature of God, it made him worthy of more glory than anything else in history, as far as we're concerned in relating to him. Now, consider it from the other stat, when an already exalted being tried to raise himself up to be more than what he was, mm-hmm. it brought him to the lowest depths of the earth and worse. Yeah. So if that's then the issue, what are the consequences of that on your psyche? Well, first of all, separation from the source of everything good not only makes you by nature evil, we see that in Ephesians 2, 1 through 3 concerning us, but we're also seeing an asphyxiation on the things that are contrary to the nature of God. You can read this in Romans 1, that God gives us over to a debased mind that will do things that are simply not rational, like treating part of creation as if it's the creator. Now, imagine that in the showcase example of it the devil, the accuser, Satan, and up that to the infinitesimal degree. Mm -hmm. Perfect in wisdom, perfect in beauty, takes the form of an angel of light, 2 Corinthians says, but if we're talking about his rationale, we're not talking about someone who's in a line with a rational being any longer. He's in rebellion against that. 
So what would the God mindset view as far as cause and effect? If I charge infinity, I'm charging a superior position and I'm going to lose. If I try to manipulate an an infinitely powerful position, I'm still going to lose. If I try to outweigh an eternal and infinitely powerful position, Mm -hmm. I'm still going to lose. So we think about all that and don't realize that's not a natural thought process that comes to us. Creatures in rebellion against God just kind of stare at you and go, but I want it though. And that's the point. When we see the fallenness of man, we're seeing a fraction of the kind of impact that that has had on the fallen entities we know as demons. Most of all, there's figurehead. So if we look at Satan and think, well, he's a perfectly wise, intelligent creature. He definitely has wiles. He has schemes. He can manipulate us. He can predict us. He knows about us. So why can't he put two and two together and realize he comes out at zero? That's assuming rationality in this. Mm -hmm. The nature of pride is to deceive not just others, but yourself. Mm -hmm. So when we look at, and this was brought up the last time someone asked this question on the program, uh, the fact that Satan's aware of this outcome, we definitely see that in Revelation chapter 12. He was thrown down to you having great wrath because he knows he has a short time. But if any of you have ever sinned before, you also know the mindset that you just want to do what you want. You don't really care about the long-term consequences, even if you can quote to yourself chapter and verse. Right. So if we point that out in a human psyche, how much more in a demonic one? How much more in an angelic, a spiritual one? And that's the point. He may be aware of these ongoing realities, but it's not going to affect his behavior because he is now by nature a rebel, and he likes it. doesn't mean that you know he's stupid, but it does mean that he's insane, and there is a difference. Right. There is a difference between evil and unaware <laughs> of consequences. There's a difference between foolish and malicious. There's a difference between these things. So yeah. when we note Satan as evil, we're identifying him as not God. And when we understand rationality, logic, the ability to make wise decisions comes from God, that's what he's in opposition to. So why wouldn't that be characteristic in long-term planning? Right, Absolutely. Yeah, um, C.S. Lewis wrote a book, Mere Christianity, super famous book. Mm. Um, You could pick it up probably at one of the local used bookstore places for pretty cheap, Um, Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. But you might want to read Chapter 8, The Great Sin. He has a lot to say about this subject Mm. uh, of pride. Um, And uh, I love what you were talking about, Sean, and and, and that all we really need to do to answer this question a lot of times is just look within ourselves. Um, Why does Satan fight a losing battle? Well, why do I fight a losing battle? Mm. You know, why do I continue to, you know, put on the blinders? Why Mm. do I rationalize, you know, justify, you know, know, behavior? Um, that's what humans do. That's uh, true. You know, we tend. Uh, you know, why is the world? Why? Why are we as human beings so um, not for God mm. and not for the free salvation that Jesus offers? Right. You know, um, it doesn't cost you anything. Um, you don't have to be a part of any club per se. You don't have to give a certain amount of money. Mm. You don't have to give your car. You don't have to do any of that. Yep. Uh, but Jesus died for you, um, and and He offers you salvation um, by you trusting in that sacrifice for mm. His sins. And yet we 
no, 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 no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yep. And, uh, and uh, so we fight losing battles all the time. Mm -hmm. You know, we kick against the goads. We fight against God um, all the time. And, uh, you know, pride won't let you look at your own pride. You know, that's how pride works, right. is it won't let us look at our areas, um, which is uh, quite sad. Um, and this is why the Bible says it's a spiritual issue. I know Pastor Scott's been saying that a lot lately. It's yep. a spiritual issue, but it is. Biblically speaking, uh, it says you were once dead in trespasses and sins in mm -hmm. Ephesians chapter 2. And, but he made us alive in Christ. We need to be made alive. We need to be made born again right. um, in order to enter the kingdom of heaven. So we need a work done. We need God to do something in us because we are absolutely inept. Um, our own pride um, has uh, blinded us in many ways right. that uh, the things we affirm are the very things that condemn us. Yeah. And that's super sad. Mm -hmm. At the moment we open up our mouth, we are condemning ourselves yeah. by what we say. Yep. Um, you know, and um, yeah, so, you know, we are in, the Bible paints a really bleak picture of humanity that we are in. Oh, absolutely. Absolute need of, yeah. of God. Dead. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Not just need a little help, but we are absolutely dead. Yeah. And even foolishness, the word says it's foolishness to, to the world, the things of God. Right. You know, it's... So I guess, yeah, Satan is in that, in that camp. position. Yeah. 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 And, it, and it was in our lives, too, where, you know, I had no clue. I mean, you know, I would say things, really bad things about God and about Jesus and about uh, the characters of the Bible. Mm. Very bad things. Yeah. And, um, and I didn't know what I was talking about, but I was super prideful. I wanted to party. I wanted to do this. I wanted to do that. Yeah. I did not want my life to change. Yeah. I did not want to have accountability. I did not want God to be real. Um, you know, that kind of idea. Yeah. Even though everything around me said, no, there's evil, there's good, yeah. there's right, there's wrong. I couldn't get out of the bubble. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know? Yeah, that is sad. <laughs> and quite amazing, really. Yeah. Um, well, Aaron's uh, second question, along similar lines, uh, uh, why did Satan argue with Michael over the body of Moses? Yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting thing. Um, what's being referenced is the book of Jude chapter, Jude, which is the <laughs> whole point where this is brought up. Um, no chap chapter. Yeah, it, it's yeah. one chapter. One. <laughs> the conversation is, of course, the point of the whole book that God's going to deal with false teachers. The key is to not be one of them. And then makes a reference to a not biblical source called the Assumption of Moses. We'll get more into that in a moment. But says, even Michael, who did not bring a railing accusation against, uh, against Satan, the accuser, but says, the Lord rebuke you. And then goes on to note other examples in noting God dealt with them, default to them. And this is also a callback, by the way, to Zechariah chapter 3, I think it is, where the angel of the Lord defaults to the Father and says, the Lord rebuke you, is this not a brand plucked from the fire? And that is a biblical source. But note that the common theme is what Jude, by the Holy Spirit, is speaking about. The point is this, don't deal with false teachers, false teachers are going to false teach. 
there's an opportunity to earnestly contend for the faith, which is what the book's about, but God will deal with them ultimately. You just keep standing for the truth. The only answer to a lie is the truth. Stick to that. That's the book in a nutshell. But if we're talking about the significance of that event, remember, first of all, that according to the authors, it was fictional. This was written between the 3rd and the 1st century uh, BC, and what was interesting about it was it essentially gives this alternate perspective on the last chapter of the book of Deuteronomy, where Joshua is shown this vision of basically Moses's body and soul splitting into two parts, and that, you know, there was uh, a desire for the accuser, a la the book of Job, to take hold of Moses' body and use it for her, his purposes while the spirit of Moses would go to be with the Lord, with Abraham, with all this other stuff. Uh, and then Michael, who's a very significant figure mentioned in the book of Daniel, is regarded as Israel's prince, uh, a spiritual entity, a chief prince, archangel as it's sometimes translated, in order to uh, guard over their well-being. And so when this argument was taking place, they're taking inspiration from divine scriptures like Daniel, like Job, like Zechariah, like others, and putting together a fun narrative. Now, is that wrong? Not necessarily, as long as you properly categorize it between fiction and nonfiction. And in the assumption of Moses, the authors would have been executed if they made this claim because it mm. states things that are verifiably false. But it's just talking about spiritual issues. It's like the book of Enoch or uh, Esdras or these other things. Is it true that, uh, you know, uh, putting, you know, intestines in your eyes, uh, according to the instructions of the archangel Raphael, will result in healing during the uh, Assyrian exile. No. But was it an interesting story? Kind of like, well, I guess we're hard-pressed for interesting stories in modern media, but think like old Marvel stuff, right? Like Iron Man and the first Captain America. It's not false history to say, oh yeah, this superhuman was fighting in World War II. But it would be false history if, say, you jump to the modern-day stuff like uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, where it notes that, you know, all oh, the United States is, like, you know, experimenting on people and stuff because they're racist, whatever. The point being made is that, though, when these things are properly categorized, what brought it up? Well, just like Paul's letters, where he mentions uh, writings of pagans, believe it or not, uh, what was the name of the individual who wrote the psalm to Zeus? It was... Uh, the uh, Theogonus, or what was his name? I don't know. I'll, I'll look it up in a moment, but he made a reference in saying we are all his children, and rightfully oh. applied that truth to God. And he also made a reference in the book of Titus in saying that Cretans are all liars, brute drunkards and stuff, and says the situation, that, that statement's true. I thought that was Epimenides. Epimenides, thank you. Uh, that was coming from a pagan source. Now, is he a prophet of God? Or his writings divine scripture? No. No, it's referenced because that statement is true. Now, just like when it's noted in Jude, what's being referenced here? Well, a situation where even a mighty angel like Michael defaults to the Lord. That was something that his audience would have been familiar with. Mm -hmm. Now, again, I'm not one to play a Monday morning quarterback on the Holy Spirit. It would have been easier 
for in church tradition for us to just quote Zechariah and let that be what stands for it? Probably, but I'm not going to make an accusation against the Lord. The point being made, though, is this. Referencing doesn't prove divine authorship. The point that was being happened there, and you can read this in the Assumption of Moses online, uh, essentially that's what's going on. Joshua is trying to bury Moses, and there's this spiritual phenomena that he's given a vision of. Nowhere in the Bible, the authors never claimed it was Scripture, but that's the point. If it's making a valid point and Scripture wants to do that, it will be very good to point that out to you. Mm -hmm. Why? Because it gives citation. It notes one of their own poets is saying, or as you and among your scholars have written, or with Michael, this is speaking to a Hebrew audience. Jude opens his book by speaking to those who what? Have common salvation among our fathers. So the point being made is that. Make sure that if people are going to give this more credit than they ought to, that you go and read the source. It's kind of like with the issues of Enoch and so forth. Oh, the Lord comes with 10,000 of his saints. That's, that's reference. That proves that there's seven archangels and that Enoch was actually the Messiah and all this other stuff. No. Just make sure you verify that. But you can find it online. I'm reading on uh, archive.org right now, The Assumption of Moses. Just hit Control-F and look up Michael, and they'll bring you to the pages of what happens. But uh, Latin translations have been made, and it's interesting, but it's not Scripture. That's what was going on, though, this bizarre vision from Joshua. As far as why it was mentioned, dealing with false teachers. Stick to that. Gotcha. Anything to add, Bo? We'll move on. No, to that's good. Yeah, great. That's good stuff. Thank you, Aaron, for those uh, those two questions. Hope that helps you out. We have a question Everyone coming up knows. at the end of our show here. Look at that. From Josephine. Uh, in the book of Leviticus and Deuteronomy, there's a list of unclean animals that were not allowed to be eaten. Is that still true today? Are there biblical guidelines for what Christians should eat? Mm. Uh, I mean, you, you can even think vegetarian, vegan, and all that stuff. Great question for this Thanksgiving week. And the holidays, when we like to stuff ourselves senseless with food, <laughs> are there biblical guidelines for what we should eat and shouldn't eat? Well, biblically, there is grounds for feasting, and there's nothing against uh, proteins and stuff. They ate lamb and cow and all that other stuff all the time. Sorry, vegetarians, but the Lord said it was good. Uh, that all <laughs> aside, good. though, when we're talking about the kosher laws, is it still true today and that there is wisdom in avoiding certain kinds of animals? Well, we can look back, and there's actually a book written called None of These Diseases, where he goes through the animals specified in the kosher laws, and the author makes a point in saying, since they didn't have germ theory, and since the purpose of these divine revelations weren't to give them scientific insights, but a spiritual guideline on how to run their nation, them focusing on how they would identify them agrarian-wise, rather than to behave like scientists, which wouldn't be relevant until the Christians did it in the scientific revolution, would be more appropriate. But this is the point. Um, if you avoid eating pig, you'd probably have a lot less uh, excess fat in your diet, and that's a good thing. But the reason why God forbade them wasn't because he made a mistake when he created those things. He's just governing his people and noting you're to make a distinction between this and that. Why? Because I'm your head of state, because I know what's best for you. And while the Gentiles don't care what they eat, if it, you know, if it moves, if it breathes, you can kill it. Just make sure you're careful with plants. That's the Survivor's Manual 101, right? Plants will kill you. You can eat anything if you cook it properly. The point being made is this. If 
God revealed these things. The question isn't just why in a biological sense, but what am I going to challenge this with? Am I going to say that God doesn't know his own creation as far as what's intended for eating or not? Am I going to misrepresent the text and say, this was revealed to all generations when chapter 11 and verse 1 specifies to the children of Israel, and then go off on a tangent with that. Make sure that as you're handling the text, and if there's anything you want to add to this, or should I finish off? Um, I was just going to add, you might want to read Acts chapter 10, and just about the vision that Cornelius has and Mm -hmm. Peter has, and that'll help you answer the question of, does this apply to us today? Mm -hmm. Um, And I hope that helps you. Yeah, Peter wasn't sinful in obeying the Lord and noting, I have cleansed these things. These things have a new purpose. Yes, it was to the Jews to meet these things. They'd have to come into the realm of Judaism. Now all nations are under the banner of Christ, and that's the point. But going into the benefits of kosher laws, again, how were they identified or distinguished from clean or not clean? God specifies outward things, like they divide the hoof, but they chew the cud, they have jointed legs and so forth. That's not sinful in of itself, but he's specifying these kind of creatures as not safe to eat, in a sense, right. because they lived in a world that couldn't examine things like trichinosis and all that. But if we're going to get anachronistic and say, well, God should have gone into uh, you know germ theory or parasitism or all <laughs> these other uh, principles of uh, you know culinary experts, you're missing the whole point of the text. Yeah. They're being given a legal system, and God's speaking to farmers and slaves. So he speaks to them where they're at and gives them a fairly interesting set of diets <laughs> that if you want to follow, you can, but much like what the book of Colossians chapter 2 says, don't think that you in observing these outward ceremonies, do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, oh, I observe kosher, you don't, therefore I'm holier, you miss the whole point. It's that you're in Christ, and that's what Acts 10 was about. Yeah, very good. <clears throat> Appreciate that, Sean. Thank you for that question, Josephine. We're out of time for today. Went real quick, as it often does. We'll be back again same time, same place tomorrow. We'll also be having our service tomorrow evening as well. You can join us live for that after Reason for Hope, but we'll see you again same time, same place. God bless you guys. You've been listening to A Reason for Hope. Thank you again for joining us as we continue our journey through God's Word, one question of the heart at a time. Until we meet again, we would love to connect with you. You can text or email your questions to questionsforhope at gmail.com. You can also find out more about our ministry at calvarychristianfellowship.com. And be sure to join us next time on A Reason for Hope. A Reason for Hope is an outreach ministry of Calvary Christian Fellowship in Tucson, Arizona.